This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast and The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Well, we are nearly there. The EU referendum is almost upon us, which seems a good time to cast an eye back over the days, weeks, months, maybe even years of campaigning, which have brought us to this point. There is no question that the low point of the campaign was the tragic killing of Labour MP Joe Cox. As I vote for Red Box, the referendum is a chance, whatever your views, to prove that a cross on a ballot paper is how we do things in this country. But joining me to find some highlights of the campaign this week are Times sketch writer Patrick Kidd, political reporter Georgie Keat and deputy diary editor Grant Tucker. Now, only one side can actually win the vote, but some could emerge as a winner personally, even though they have been on the losing side. So could David Cameron survive a Brexit vote? Has Boris Johnson been enhanced or diminished in the campaign? Who has been the breakout star? Patrick, do you want to kick us off? Who's been the winners and losers of the campaign? Well, I think George Osborne has, has been a big loser. I think he's been uh, diminished because he has, has had to go to, to Project Fear several times and it's got more ludicrous each time as the, as the campaign has, has gone on but the thing is it may well work I mean we, we were discussing recently the the latest polls which some on the uh, the out camp are suggesting is down to the tragic death of Joe Cox actually the, the polling was was done a little bit before the murder just after Osborne's threat of apocalypse that he would have to have an emergency budget and put up and the trouble is that's angered his backbenchers beyond belief 65 of them say we vote against you. It's it's lowered his stock, but it made us work, and perhaps he feels it's a noble sacrifice. I don't think he's done very well. I think Amber Rudd has been a big winner. Uh, she did very well in in the uh, the three on three debate, and she's been tipped. If the time comes, she's been tipped to even replace George Osborne as Chancellor. As yeah, Chancellor, yes, possible, or even further. I yes. mean, the, the thing is, none of us know what is going to happen uh, in the immediate days and weeks after after the election. Uh, we could be on for a summer of carnage. It could be a massive Remain win, and David Cameron will be looking very smug for the rest of the summer, uh, or we could be out, and then who knows. That's one of the delights of this whole thing. The interesting thing about George Osborne, I wrote about this on Red Box last week, is that surviving as Chancellor after a Remain vote is a problem he'd be, he'd be happy to have. You know, They've thrown the kitchen sink at this because if they lose, he's definitely finished. Yes, I, I think... Only being half finished is, is a... Is a option he's willing to take. I think it won't be a question of him surviving as Chancellor after a Remain vote. I think after a Remain vote he will probably leave the Treasury anyway for his own good. And I think speaking to people who know him well, it's what he realises he needs to do. There's talk of him going to the Foreign Office, either in a job swap with Philip Hammond or just, just going. Philip goes off to do something else. But he's spent 10 years, 11 years at Treasury or Shadow Treasury now, and that's a long time in one beat. And uh, if he's to rebuild his leadership hopes, I think he needs to command another brief. Win or lose the referendum. And Georgie, on the on the leave side, winners and losers, how, how do you think Boris has done? 
on the leave side. Boris, I think you go up to some places like Stafford. I was on the Vote Leave bus about a month ago. And they said, you know, there's going to be no one here in Stafford and, you know, it's going to be really, really small. And of course, they had actually told everyone that they were going to be there. So there were about, you know, 700 people that arrived in the town square. And it was like watching a Trump rally. Everyone was Boris, Boris. And, you know, you don't see that kind of thing in British politics. So he's a really unique political character. But then because of that, maybe it's envy or maybe it's just a bit. Uh, fear about what's going to happen if he becomes more successful in politics. That in Westminster, there is definitely a sort of feeling against him. And I think that this campaign has sort of turned people away from him. Whereas, you know, especially outside of the Westminster bubble, people are all for Boris. And Grant, what do you make of... Uh, how do you think Nigel Farage has got on? It's the campaign that... We, we wouldn't be having it without him, and yet everyone's been trying to stop him playing any part in it. Well, certainly, but I think the really interesting thing about Nigel Farage, and like most of the politicians that we've just mentioned, is he does well, whether it's leave or remain. I think if he leaves, he's seen as the guy who, yes, got the referendum, and partly helped win it. Uh, if we remain... Uh, he still can do the Alex Salmond, SNP, Nicola Sturgeon, let's have a second referendum, let's keep at this. And there are people who are going to be energised and want to keep fighting this fight. It's one of the big arguments in favour of voting for Leave is that it puts Nigel Farage out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> we won't need to hear from him. Yes, he might go to the Lords and maybe uh, join a future Boris government. Joining we- the bubble. He hasn't resigned for a while, so, I mean, he must be due another resignation. Do another comeback. Yes. Well, I remember that, actually, you went on the Times at the time, but, but Christmas 2014, the Times named Nigel Farage as our person of the year. And as I very patiently had to explain to deluges of people on Twitter, this is not an endorsement, this is not a suggestion that we love Nigel Farage, look at our coverage. I mean, we, But undeniably, what he did and what UKIP did in 2014 was to change politics for the next two years. They forced David Cameron into, into a referendum he didn't want to have. And so, win or lose, this is Farage's victory. He, he has at least brought this issue to the polls. It's been a dirty campaign, though, and the recent posters have diminished him and his reaction to them, cl- claiming that if it... What did he say? If it wasn't for a woman being say, gunned down, then no, no one would be talking about our posters. But also that he was a victim of political hatred, which yes. inspired the hashtag Pray for Nigel. Yes. Because he'd managed to turn the whole thing from Joe Cox to him. But I wonder, almost like Donald Trump, whether actually Nigel Farage does get affected by this, or, or whether he just grows more popular within his own base. I don't think UKIP supporters really care if Nigel Farage is extreme, if he unveils these posters with large amounts of Syrian migrants. I don't think his. I think his supporters quite like that. I think his supporters might do, but I'm not sure whether everyone on the leave cam like and they must shut Gove said he shuddered yes. when he saw the posters they must think every time Farage comes out this stops us getting yes. the moderates I remember once speaking to Farage's former teacher I think it's history teacher maybe English teacher who said that when he left Dulwich College that sort of um, working class uh, non-establishment <laughs> hub that he went to um, the, the teacher said to him Nigel I've got a feeling that you are going to go down in history but whether it's for fame or infamy I can't tell and Farage just said as long as I go down in history sir <laughs> Well he's certainly doing that What about before we before we move on to, to other parts of the campaign what about Jeremy Corbyn the, the, the invisible man of the campaign if you like well, I've written in this morning's sketch after his, his, his piece on Sky that he is the first man ever to do the Ode to Joy as a mime act <laughs> he, he is so reluctant he, he, he doesn't particularly believe that Britain should remain. He voted against in 75, he voted against Maastricht, he voted against Lisbon. Whenever he's talked about the EU, it's more been the context that we're never going to win a general election under me, so let's have Europe to save us from the Tories. Again, he's talking to his base, I suppose. He's he's saying the stuff that his fans will like, but it doesn't suggest that Labour are are able to break out beyond their core. 
I actually thought one, one one of his first big relaunch speeches of the labouring campaign, where he he finally did say, "I think we should stay." I thought was his reluctance was quite good. It was it, it felt like that's where a lot of people are. They don't love the EU, but reluctantly, maybe we should stay in. But you get the feeling that his only real argument to stay is that they don't want a Tory Brexit. Yeah, mm-hmm. but really, you know, he's always been a Eurosceptic, and he's deeply against things like TTIP, and. He's that part of the left that do think that the EU are fundamentally sort of anti-democratic, run by fascists, you know, all this kind of stuff. There was a moment when he gathered together the Labour tribe recently at the TUC. There was all the shadow cabinet, the trade union leaders and, and various members of the executive. And as the picture had been taken, I distinctly heard Tom Watson say to him, keep smiling, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, he, he had a week of gritted teeth at that point. He's now got a, a little bit longer to go, but uh. only only a couple more days to go, Jeremy. Now let's move on from let's move on from the politicians, and on to the endorsements. This has been the campaign which has brought us some of the bo- the, the most ridiculous endorsements. I mean, my, I think my favourite on the Leave side is still Ian Botham because it was treated like a a world leader coming in for Leave. It was, it just, was just before Obama. It, it was, was just like before, but like ca- yes, let's try and get some balances. <laughs> Remain have just uh, secured the backing of David Beckham. Um, in, uh, in terms of time, uh, red box readers have got in touch. David Barnett flagged up that apparently Captain Britain would back Remain. David Wilcock liked the fact that Keith Chegwin was back in Brexit. Uh, Vicky Prout flagged up Cats Against Brexit, which is a good counter to Liam Fox's claim that puppies uh, would be in favour of leaving the EU. And uh, Hugo Jai pointed out that Made in Chelsea's Binky, <coughs> whoever that might be, compared the <laughs> EU to an orgy because there were lots of countries in it. Uh, 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 this, I think, actually is my favourite. Frieda Kerr, who's a church campaigner in Northern Ireland, told Radio Ulster that supporting Remain was a vote against God. And then added for good measure, I believe that the stay in the EU is to vote for the devil. I thought God was for Brexit. Wasn't it two days ago God came out? Well. For one side. Well, oh, she's, no, she's saying God is on the side of Brexit. Supporting Remain is a... Oh, no, vote no. against. Stay yes, yes, her God is for Brexit. She agrees God is for Brexit. Whereas the Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury yeah, he's he for Remain. Anybody else? Anyone else want to nominate a top endorsement or otherwise? Well, it's got to be Liz Hurley, hasn't it? And uh, <laughs> she came out and she said, I, I, we, "We've got to vote Brexit because I want my old light bulbs back." That, 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 that was her reason. So uh, then we had David Coburn, the UKIP MEP, who uh, said that he wanted to back Brexit so we could have his old toasters back. So there's a lot of uh, UKIP man backs Brexit isn't the biggest story. No, no, I think Liz Hurley was probably more impressive. Although than actually, that. One, one of the shocking polls in the campaign was something like eight percent of UKIP voters don't want to Brexit. I wasn't quite sure why they were voting. Yeah, either there's them. something wrong with UKIP uh, supporters, or there's something wrong with polls. The margin uh, of error could be. It could be. Could be both. ISIS. Does, does, ISIS, does ISIS, ISIS back Brexit, Brexit, Brexit? According to to David Cameron. Baghdadi was a massive fan, according to Cameron. Yeah. Yes, but you experts. I mean, who needs an expert? That was one of the other things. Michael Gove repeatedly saying that the IFS and the OECD and all these people. You, well, what if, if you really want an expert, I did speak to Kim Kardashian about this, um, and I asked her what her opinions were on President Obama backing the Remain side, and she said, uh, "Us Brits shouldn't be told what to do by the Americans." So. Listen to Kim. Yeah, make up your own mind. <laughs> I don't remember reading about that in the Times for some reason. <laughs> it didn't appear, I don't think, no. Uh, Such well, cheek. Well, that's good. Um, well, let's, uh, let's move on to the gaffe of the campaign. Uh, there were loads of these that people sent in. Tom Railton suggested Kate Hoey telling the BBC's Daily Politics, I've never met anyone in the Leave campaign who was against immigration. She suggests she's been in a cupboard for the entire thing. Uh, Emma Picken suggested David Coburn, uh, this time for his him complaining about BBC bias during the TV debate that was on ITV. A couple of people, Sally Hurd and Chris Terry, suggested when Boris said we couldn't have bunches of bananas in more than three. 
uh, bananas, which turned out to be uh, rubbish. Evan Scrimshaw vote leaves response letter to when ITV said they were going to put Nigel Farage on the box. That was when they accused ITV of joining the Remain campaign as part of an establishment stitch-up, and there would be consequences when there were new people in, in number 10. Anyone else got suggestions for uh, gaff of the campaign? For me, it's got to be Ken Livingstone and everything Hitler. It's just, every time he opens his mouth... <laughs> everything Hitler ma- does sound like a, another volume of his autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well, there's an idea, there's an idea. And I think, uh, Patrick, uh, you mentioned in the uh, diary today about uh, the Jewish Chronicle, and he came out and he's, he's asking people to send him copies of Mein Kampf uh, so he can learn more about it and show them the facts. It has been a, a spring dominated by Hitler. The thing about this is, is that actually <laughs> gaffes have sort of been forgot. They've come and they've gone very quickly. I mean, I went to a vote leave rally, which sort of doubled up as a surprise birthday party for Boris Johnson. It was such a surprise no one actually came because their email system had cocked up overnight and not told anyone. And we were kept waiting while they rearranged the stage to make it look a bit less windy. It got to the point where they were slow hand clapped by the public, who'd all got out of bed on a Sunday morning to come and see <laughs> wow. their favourite political the stars. to go and do this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what else have we had? One of my favourite moments, not really a gaffe actually, except that it may have been looked at by his minders, was when Boris has really gone downhill as the campaign's gone. His first event, he was full of Borisisms. He talked about, let's not be cowled by the gloomadon poppers, which is a wonderful word. And, and then um, he proved that he was going to vote leave and take control by leaping behind the cab of a truck. And I stood next to his advisor and said, no, it's just for a photo shoot. Boris isn't going to drive the truck. Boris isn't going to drive the truck. Engine goes on. He's not going to drive the truck. Oh, sh- he's driving the truck. <laughs> and Boris careered off at, at 20 miles an hour past the sign saying five miles an hour strictly only. It's not a gaff. I mean, it didn't harm anything. But it must. Uh, I do feel for the minders throughout the campaign. Well, especially, I mean, who would be Boris Johnson's minder, given that his whole shtick is... Gaffs. Not having a minder and gaffs, and so he's waved around pasties, asparagus, asparagus. He he gave an ice, he licked a woman's ice cream and then gave it back to her. Oh, there's be she was quite pleased. She was she was quite happy with that. But I mean, food food has played quite a big part in the in the campaign because I know Pretty Patel warned that curries were under threat if we didn't leave the EU. Yes, but then the association of curry houses back to remain with Obama, which you mentioned a minute ago. There was. Line gate, which people thought was a gaffe when he, when he, he said that you Brits oh, yes. are going to have to get to the back, back of the, the queue. queue, but because he didn't say line, everyone assumed this had been scripted for him by right the Remain. 10, yeah. And then the Washington Post did a sort of, I think it was the Washington Post, did a sort of investigation to prove that he'd previously used the word queue <laughs> on at least three occasions. So it was absolutely natural and normal. That seems an awfully long time ago now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Um, the, we talked about an invisible man earlier, Jeremy Corbyn. The other one is Lord Rose, of course, mm. who right at the beginning of the campaign didn't know the name of his campaign, if you remember. Oh, that was glorious. That, he didn't know it was called Britain Stronger in Europe. And he called re- it better off in Britain or something. <laughs> something, <laughs> something along those lines. And we and we haven't seen him since. So no, well, he, well, he appeared before the select committee and said that it wouldn't actually have any economic impact. Well, he went further than that. He said that um, if we curbed immigration, wages would rise, but that's not necessarily a good thing, which means he has featured a lot in the campaign, but mainly on vote leave posters, uh, which is uh, probably not what he necessarily had in mind. OK, let's let's keep going. Uh, silliest claim so far of the campaign. I think my favourite was the warning that Brexit would push up the price of ice cream, as if a few pence on your magnum was going to be enough to uh, to change your mind. But it's good for chocolate. Someone claimed that, I think, at one stage, because chocolate Ooh. prices are too high and we can actually do a deal directly with wherever chocolate comes from. See, it's all about food. Maybe, this is, maybe it's all <laughs> going to be decided by food. Uh, my favourite was from the Evening Standard. Uh, couples delaying having babies because of fear over Brexit. Well, it's certainly not affecting my family. I think I've got about three cousins having babies in the next few months. Uh, but you're Welsh, you're feral. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, we just like to make clear that all views expressed on the Red Box podcast are, the, are definitely not mine. Um, we, uh, we, I also report in the um, countdown column that I've been doing seemingly endlessly in the paper, counting down to uh, the referendum. There's a Dr Lawrence Gurlis who claims that, um, particularly in the City of London, hi- there are high levels of stress about the vote, which leads to more drinking, which in turn leads to heightened sexual behaviour, which leads to more sexually transmitted diseases. So just worrying about it is spreading STDs. The hospitals are full. <laughs> <laughs> and also relate, they've been talking about quite a lot about the divisions within families and they've been seeing husbands and wives coming to them saying they absolutely cannot agree with each other politically. Well, interestingly, the YouGov poll in The Times that we had, 26% of people say their families are split, which is, I, I was quite surprised it was, it was so high. Well, including the Johnson family, of course. Uh, Father Stanley is a big... Remainer and Boris is a Brexiter, so quite interesting. <laughs> no, on the subject, on the subject of, we, we saw a family split with Michael Gove and his father. Michael Gove appeared on the Question Time programme last week uh, and was confronted. I know he cl- he had claimed previously during the campaign that his dad, his, his fishing business had, had been struck down uh, and shut down by EU regulation. And the Guardian went off and spoke to Ernest Gove um, and discovered that he said that actually no, he just sold up because he'd had enough. And Gove was very angry about he that. He was very angry about that. He said, "This is what journalists do: putting yeah. words into people's mouths." Said well, the former. Said the former journalist Michael <laughs> Gove. Um, excellent. Well, let's uh, let's keep going. Um, the event of the campaign. Now, I I'll read out some of the other suggestions, but I'm confident that we'll all be in agreement on this. Um, uh, Kit Lovelace suggested the B Pop Live concert. Well, I don't think it can qualify for event of the campaign because it's not happened on the grounds that almost everyone pulled out. But I feel like I was there. There was three members of five that pulled out. Alicia Dixon. Was there one the, person that actually stayed? Sister it, Sledge uh, pulled out. Bucks Fizz were the ones that lasted right to the end, but then it got cancelled. So. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Still there. I got an email this morning from leave.eu saying that this is a tempting offer. On referendum night, they were at the Millbank Tower, Bucks Fizz are going to be playing at their party. I think somebody's already written a cheque for Bucks Fizz <laughs> and they're, not, they're going to get their money's worth. But I think we've got to call it uh, the band formerly known as Bucks Fizz because it's only three of them. It's only Cheryl The other one's gone off and suing, yeah. Yeah, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an Elvis Presley tribute, tribute act as well, apparently. Mark Wallace quite seriously suggested Giesler, Stewart and Andrea Ledsmith that are 
TV debates was his highlight of the campaign. We're going to cross that out on the basis it's a bit too sensible. Uh, James Reid recommended two things. Uh, Nigel Farage nearly being decapitated by a tree on his open-top bus in South Yorkshire. And a, a man dressed as a minion standing behind mm. Jeremy Corbyn in Doncaster advertising a comic book store. I was there. You I, were there? I, I saw the... <laughs> so, so, gosh, going to Doncaster is always a pleasure. Uh, there's a place near the station that does 8% cider, I recommend, if you're ever forced to go to Doncaster. There, there was a big rally in the centre of town with Corbyn and Ed Miliband. You could feel the love between them. And there was a guy dressed up as a minion, as he says, advertising a comic store, who kept on wandering into shot. And I had a word with him. His name was Adam. And he said, if I get my poster onto Sky, they might give me a bonus. <laughs> I thought it was actually the most enterprising thing we'd heard all referendum. Now, um, Grant, you were at the launch of the bus. The yes, I was. Large Farage bus. It just had a massive picture of his face on the side of it. It was all very strange, and we weren't supposed to smoke on the bus, but I did see quite a few of them upstairs uh, having a cheek, cheeky puff. So, and it's, it's a bus that was previously used by Torvald Dean. Uh, for their, for their when, victory tour when they came back from the Winter Olympics. In, you, you know more than me, Matt. Oh, yeah. Gosh. You've obviously not been reading my countdown comments. <laughs> and on the subject of buses, who is going to be using the Vote Leave bus this weekend? They're gonna, the, the, the £350 million claim is finally being torn off the side of it. It's a quick quiz. I know this because I read your countdown. There we are. You did at least read it. <laughs> it's Will Young. It's Will Young. Will Young is using it at Glastonbury this weekend. He's and because Grant can actually sing... Is he backing Brexit? What's his fa- most famous song? What's his most famous song? You better leave right now. Leave right it. now, there we are. I'm not singing on, <laughs> on, the, on the Red Box podcast. <laughs> uh, very good, very good. Um, uh, but I don't think we can overlook what was almost certainly the event of the campaign, if not the political year, or if not ever. <laughs> Laura Gabb uh, suggested it, but you were actually there, The Georgia. Battle of the Thames. The Battle the of the Thames. The Battle of the Thames. The immediate invite for this, it was, it was fishing for leave originally, and they absolutely got no attention from the papers and the broadcasts. So they decided to get Farage along, at least we'll get someone along. So, of course, it got sent out and everyone said, we've got to go. When Farage is around, even if he doesn't say something inflammatory, there's always going to be some sort of circus. So what was Farage what? sailing on Westminster? Was it from Ramsgate, so, Margate, they set off? The idea was that there would be a flotilla of about 30 fishing boats, and then one manned by Farage and his coterie of... Ukippers, um, and they were going to set off from Tower Bridge and go all the way down to Parliament and then stand out, well, sit outside in their boats, bob, bob, <laughs> bob anchor, around in their anchor. boats outside Parliament, and in time for Prime Minister's questions, where they would just sort of, you know, heckle the building or something, because of course, I'm not entirely sure David Cameron could really hear what they were saying when he's stuck inside the chamber. And we all kind of got there, and there were so many whispers and rumours, and Greenpeace had put something out saying, you know, one of the boats was involved in an alleged fraud, and, you know, People were saying, is Momentum, the grassroots labour movement, going to come and torpedo us? And then the so boat talk left. Through, what time did you have to be there? We you... must have got there at about 11 or something. Oh, OK. So, oh, you don't have to be up at the crack of dawn. But of course, it was, it's UK, very civilised start. Oh, okay. so, you know, well, the flotilla all... had set off at the crack of dawn, but then Nigel didn't and join it, them until I mean, some of them had come down from Peter's Head up in Nobody you know, gets North up West... before the pubs are open. That's the UK. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, some of the fishermen had steamed, you know, 50 hours or something from near Aberdeen. You know, so they really meant what they were doing. It's just you know, they picked the wrong person to head up their um, campaign. Anyway, as soon as the boat left its mooring in Tower Bridge, there was just this roar of a pleasure cruiser that came, you know, diving around the corner. And there was Bob Geldof in his tannoy. And, 
you know, with the, they had the biggest sound system that was blasting the in crowd, that Motown song. And he was just sort of surrounded by a bevy of, you know, young, glamorous, beautiful people. They were all sort of shouting and singing this song. And then it got so close to the Farage boat. It must have been only about, you know, 20 metres or something. So they were all going, oh, it's a health and safety hazard, as if UKIP had ever cared about health and safety in the past. <laughs> and then Geldof took to his tannoy and, Nigel, you're a fraud, Nigel. You're no friend of fishermen. And David Coburn sort of stood up and said, but he's Irish. It's got nothing to do with him. <laughs> and then you had all these tiny small boats that were sort of circling the Farage boats. So, I mean, it really was the Battle of the Thames. And there was one point quite near to the start where our boat, because we were all the press were on Farage's boat, sort of did a U-turn and went back towards Tower Bridge. We thought, this is it. They've actually been defeated. This is pathetic. <laughs> but then Geldof and his crew sort of disappeared slightly. And actually one very poignant moment in hindsight is that Brendan Cox, the husband of Joe Cox, um, and their two tiny three and five-year-old children were on one of these in dinghies. Um, so they were, because I think Brendan is probably quite friendly with Bob Geldof because they're sort of professional campaigners. And there were some lovely pictures the next day on Twitter of them all. We'd got just to Parliament and there'd been quite a sort of calm interlude where David Coburn was sinking the Sauvignon Blanc while saying, this is what real fishermen do. <laughs> it's true, it's true. And then Farage sort of relaxed, lit a fag, told us that he was um, not drinking so much at the moment because he was trying to behave himself. And it all seemed like everything was going to plan. And then we got to Parliament and, you know, he was just about to get there with all the fishermen and sort of, you know, say a piece or something. Although I think one of his aides had forgotten to bring a megaphone with them because Farage was entirely drowned out when it came to his pleasure cruising, then diving back up the Thames again, blasting the in-crowd song. And Geldof just sort of went on and on and on. And Nigel, we're coming for you. The um, truth is coming. Wasn't there water being squirted at one point? There was. The, that was the fishermen. They all had sort of water hoses. So they were squirting the Bob Geldof boat. <laughs> and then there was one point which almost like it was actually going to be a real battle because one of the <laughs> fishing boats went right up to the Geldof pleasure cruiser and sort of gave it a good bash. You could really hear it. And then you had the sort of sight of fishermen were about to sort of clamber on board with a game of thrown sea. And then the river police came up and spoiled all oh. their fun. But it was just, you know, it went from fish to fast so quickly. I tell you what, it was really noticeable because while PMQs was happening, I was, I think you were as well, Patrick, you were sitting in the press gallery watching PMQs. Yes, yes. And Although I was actually sketching, um, what's his name, Philip Green that day, um, which but, was also quite entertaining, but that's not... But almost from. every journalist in the press gallery, we started off watching PMQs, and by the end of PMQs, almost every journalist in the press gallery was look, watching this on their phones, yeah. being played out on Twitter and Vines and phone, and it was, nobody was paying any attention at all to PMQs. But, and we were all thinking, why, we want, why are we inside the building? We be well, the best the bit was that the political editor of the Times, Francis Elliott, he was seething with jealousy that I was going. So I was like, this is the lesson on why never to become too successful because it's only <laughs> the junior reporters that get to do this. And when we had arrived at Parliament, there was a sort of lonely figure of Francis who was standing on the terrace going, hello! <laughs> just completely ignored PMQs. Well, I think that was definitely the right decision. You've definitely got the best sort of campaign <laughs> war story. Oh, hang on. I went to a duck sanctuary with Tim Farron. <laughs> no, that's about as far as the story goes. <laughs> 
to, there's a, um, to look after endangered species or something. There's a, yeah, exactly. Wild goose chase. Insert your jokes there. Now, um, I want to just touch a little bit on uh, one-liners. Peter Doyle recommended John Majors, which I think it definitely stood out when he said the N- when he was attacking Michael Gove and Boris Johnson and Ian Duncan Smith on the NHS, and he said the NHS is about as safe as them as a pet hamster would be with a hungry python. It was an extraordinary attack from a senior Tory against other senior Tory cabinet ministers. It was. Although, do pythons kill by constriction rather than biting? Does yes, that they work? do. So, so actually, no, if you're a hamster, you can work. Pull, it doesn't right, work. Right, you right, we're crossing that one off. Though. That one's not working. You've already, you've already suggested this. Ryan Lanham got in touch about um, Michael Gove saying this country has had enough of experts. Yes, that was beautiful. I quite liked um, George Osborne at the press gallery dinner, to which you didn't invite me, Matthew. Um, when when he talked about the various options, he said we, we've heard about the Norwegian model and the Canadian model and the Albanian model, and those are just the guests on John Whittingdale's table this evening. <laughs> <laughs> and John Whittingdale did have to go, uh, a good grace to laugh at that. I, I picked out a couple from George Osborne. This is when he was interviewed by Andrew Neil, and he was saying he didn't want Britain to have cl- talking about how we'd we'd come out of recession, and he didn't want to risk recession. Again. He didn't want Britain to have climbed up those ladders on the snakes and ladders board and find ourselves hitting the big snake. <laughs> That takes us down to the bottom. <laughs> Eloquent. Which is really good. But my favourite, this, this I thought you could use, you, you could put this up on a wall as a sort of inspirational quote. He said, um, it's, it's like running a marathon. You don't know exactly how many minutes it's going to take. This is him, right, so this is him defending how much the economy might shrink by if we leave the EU. It's like running a marathon. You don't know how many minutes it's going to take, but if you shoot yourself in the foot, it's going to take a heck of a lot longer. This is George Wise. Osborne, obviously, man of the people, having elocution lessons. Not only that, but also having sort of how to speak Just simple. talking like normal. Just talking like that. Like, everybody loves like snakes and ladders and running marathons. I'm just so impressed that you can remember any quotes from this campaign. I'm trying to scrub it out of my brain. There was the Amber Rudd one as well, about Boris Johnson may be fun at parties, but he's not the sort of chap you want to go home in a car with. Which was actually quite sinister. Yes. Um, and perhaps went a bit beyond the pale, but sort of equally may have made a telling wound on him. And there have been lots of terrible. I mean, there was the DIY recession, which David. When they Cameron, did a B&Q. David Cameron and George Osmond did a B&Q, and then they did one, was it a car plant about being in the boot of a car? And then yeah. there was something about you can't climb back into an aeroplane once you've jumped out of you it. You had Boris uh, in Lancashire selling a cow and how the EU was milking us. That was that was another pun. Well, he did. He was so. early in the campaign. He was very good at puns. He went to an underwear factory and talked about pants, you know, pants on fire or something, to the total... To liar, liar, pants yes, exactly, on fire. It's yeah. got to that level, has it? But, yeah. <laughs> Unsurprising, the people who worked in the underwear factory looked like they've heard this all before. I chose <laughs> not to, not to <laughs> laugh at it. was disappointing. I went with Boris to Stratford-upon-Avon. And you thought, he's writing a book on Shakespeare. His mind must full, be full of good puns. Um, but they were at a, a factory that dispenses cleaning products and he didn't come out with the line of once more under the bleach difference. <laughs> <laughs> he did try and make some joke about we're going to wash that party right out of our hair. So it didn't work. It must, be, it must be just then. dizzying for him. He's just sort of sitting on this bus and then just being turfed out and being told, right, it's a, it's a pie shop, go. And yes. he, between the getting off the bus and getting into the pie shop, he's got to come up with they a zinger. They love it, though. They do love it. It's much more fun than running the country. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is one thing that David Cameron says. He much prefers being out campaigning than sitting in through the, the boring meetings in Downing Street. Um, the one thing before we, before we go, I think we should, we should just reflect a bit on the sort of the impact of the campaign. I was quite surprised. I was really struck by um, having asked people on Twitter for their highlights of the campaign. Lots of people were, I think it's safe to say, were a bit negative. Pillar Gomez says it's created the most horrible political atmosphere in my lifetime, and that includes the Thatcher years. 
George Casanova said he didn't like the bit where members of the public get ranty and rude with politicians on telly because that's now going to become a thing. Graham Neal said the slow, creeping realisation that regardless of the result, this absolute horror of public debate will continue beyond tw- June the 24th. Is this, is it all been that bad? Yes. <laughs> you know, what I was thinking recently, I really miss the London Olympics. Well, Four you know, years ago now, when everyone liked each other, you could chat to people on the tube, things got done, even if the train was held up, no one... I mean, basically, we need the Queen to get back in a helicopter with Daniel Craig. And <laughs> well, Boris is having a helicopter for the last couple of days, so maybe there's still maybe there's still time. Boris, the unifying figure. So- and the Queen, maybe this could be what tips are, the Queen and Boris in a helicopter. Yeah, the death. Somebody somebody did get in touch and mention the Olympics and unfortunately I've not got their um their tweet with me, but they said let's just all go back, let's turn the clock back, but only to summer twenty twelve. In four years we've gone from a nation that, that liked each other, that was fairly tolerant, uh fairly open, and I just hope we can rediscover that fairly soon. We've got Wimbledon coming up after the uh uh, after the referendum, and Andy Murray's in good form, so maybe that's what will unite us for a bit for two weeks, anyway. And there is there is the summer, and MPs will go off on their summer holidays, come what may. So hopefully we can have a we can have a bit of a break then. I mean, the, the despair. Emma Pickens said she was looking forward to when it was all over. Uh, Ryan Bolgey said if we can never mention this whole thing again, then that would be great. So I think that's but what optimistic. happens if it's just like Scotland and we have a neverendum. It's the side that has the campaign that wants to leave is never going to let it go well on that cheery thoughts let's Sorry. do um in fact let, let's let's congratulate two red boxers who got in touch one of them said lee armstrong got in touch and said that his highlight of the whole campaign was obviously the red box emails so a special prize to him and barry johnson got in touch and said his highlight was the red box sweepstake he said, I actually do enjoy hearing people say it's going to be a tight race and then imply an eight-point gap with their uh, <laughs> with their guests. Now, the average on the sweepstake at the moment is 53.88%. Um, Grant, you did this a while ago on Twitter and you predicted 49.6%. Are you sticking with that? For Remain, yeah. For, for Remain, that's what yeah, you think. So I think Remain's Brexit will just, just about nudge it. Yes. Just about nudge it. Patrick, on Twitter you said 50.1%. When you've been on the podcast before you said 54%. I think it's going to be exactly a dead heat. And the reason for this, I discovered someone had tabled a parliamentary question asking what happens if it's a dead heat. I think it was Paul Flynn tabled this. And the answer came back saying, oh, blast. We haven't, there is nothing in legislation. I mean, if it's a general election, they toss a coin. They don't even have tossing a euro for this. There, there is nothing written. So I think we will have to start again from the beginning. I think the Queen uh, gets that's, a vote. That's the, oh, the Queen gets a vote. The Queen gets a vote. Well, well yes, well, let's not try to second guess whether or not the Queen is backing Brexit. Georgie, you've not yet entered the sweepstake. So what percentage of the vote do you think Remain's going to get? I think about 51.6. 56 should, uh, you should remind uh, listeners of what your original prediction was, Matt. Yeah, now, some some of us, Grant, did our entry some time ago, and a lot's happened since then. So those of us who might have said that they thought Remain were going to get 59.44%, <laughs> you know, I've I've not attempted to doctor it or cheat it You in might any be way. very smug on Friday, you don't know. I'm never smug, Grant, you know that. Uh, now, if you do want to enter the sweepstake, time is running out. You can email redbox at thetimes.co.uk, tweet at timesredbox using the hashtag redboxsweepstake, and the deadline for that is when polls open at 7 o'clock on Thursday morning. Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to everyone who sent in their suggestions for your campaign highlights. Let us know if there's anything we missed, and I'll be back on Friday with a special podcast with Tim Shipman. 
political editor of the Sunday Times and Red Box emailer, bringing you the immediate reaction to the referendum result. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to the podcast now via iTunes or on your Android device. And to get breaking news on the result, sign up to the Red Box email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box email. But for now, from Patrick, Georgie, Grant and me, it's goodbye. You're on your own now. Just make sure you vote or we've all been wasting our time. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.